So Laurel Woods. <laughs> hey. So great. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really cool to um <sighs> to talk to you. I, I saw you last summer. We saw each other at the lighter, darker party at Seagraph. But before yes. that, I don't I don't know if we had seen each other for like 15, 20 years or something, maybe. Is that I mean, possible? I, it is. I mean, I quit Lucasfilm in April of 2000. So, so that was right after I left. I left in 99, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a minute. I'm not going to lie. But every day <laughs> it's like, I mean, every, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like I saw you yesterday. No, I know. It's true. We became really good friends. We we spent a lot of time hanging out, you, me, and Erica Wangberg. Yeah. Hung out a lot and drank a lot of alcohol and drank uh, a lot. Cruised around. A lot. And Went to some parties. Song. Yeah. Went yeah, to some you parties. That, you had a cool Citroen 2C. The Chevaux. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. that what that was? Exactly. Yeah. And didn't you was, have a sob too for a while? Oh, I had a sob. That's right. Cause you and I both had sobs. Yeah. yeah it's sad that like they stopped making those GM bought them and then killed them. I kept mine to the very end. Uh, I finally, I moved to New York and I sold it to a friend's um, niece. And I had to also teach her how to drive a stick cause she didn't know how to drive a stick. And apparently it stalled on the freeway and then it was RIP sob. I was pretty sad about it. That's devastating. Thank yeah, you. it's really sad. <laughs> I totally sorry feel for your, your loss. pain. <laughs> yeah, I know if I if I could still buy one new now, I'd I, buy one. Dude, I totally would. I know. I know. I like it had the ignition in between the seats. Yeah, yeah. Anytime so you valet, anytime yeah. you valet parked a car, they're, they're like, huh? like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't find the the ignition behind the steering wheel. Oh my god, that was the best. All right, so now. I got to ask you some questions. I know some of this stuff, but I think it might be fun for people to kind of learn a little bit about, about you, know you. There, you can, you can overturn any stone about me, man. You know that. <laughs> that thing's well, off limit. So first things first, where, where did you grow up? So I was born in Inglewood, you know, close to LAX airport. And I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles called, well, I grew up in Ventura County. Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, I first we lived in Newbury Park um, from when I was so first of all I would just like to say I'm 52 years old so <laughs> I was born in 68 and when I was two we moved to Newbury Park uh, my parent we were very poor my dad was a CHP officer and my mom wasn't working and I had my sister and we moved to Newbury Park and we were super like I mean just like blue collar now was your sister is she older or younger than you my sister is two years younger, uh, but everyone thinks that she's older. Because and, she's uh, so much more mature than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say she's got more mileage on her, if you know what I mean. I oh, know. dang. She'll hate that. Oh. Sick burn. Um, so, yeah. So, we grew up in Newbury Park. And then, you know. So, and your dad, dad was a, your dad was a policeman. My dad was a policeman. Does he drive, like, in a patrol car in a uniform and stuff? He or? was in the chip. He was a chippy. He was, like, in chips. Eric Estrada, you know. he Sweet. Um, had a motorcycle and um, yeah. Well, he, he was a motorcycle cop? Yeah. 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 Oh, so, wow. And then um, he was a, in a self-inflicted motorcycle accident, meaning that he was uh, doing wheelies in the parking lot, showing off at work and um, got into a, a motorcycle accident with himself and mm -hmm. his legs went through the front tires of his uh, tire of his um, motorcycle. And then he was had to retire like when wow. I was like five. Yeah. Jeez. He was in a wheelchair, I think, for almost six months. I mean, it was pretty bad, like what he did to himself. So, um, and then, yeah, then he was a used car salesman. Well, he likes to, 
he says he was into exotic car refurbishing, but he, mm-hmm. I mean, he did like he would buy old cars and refurbish them and sell them and stuff. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then once he started making money in the strip clubs, we moved to Westlake village and, you know, swanky no, wait, town, so USA. that's, that's a big jump. You gotta <laughs> just give me a little bit of that story. Cause that is, that is one of the, the aspects of your personal story that I, I think is, is really unusual. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's crazy because when it's your life, you just think it's normal because it's the only thing you know. Yeah. So basically when my, um, so my, yeah, my dad was selling used cars really like on Sunset Strip, you know, park, you know, lots on Sunset Strip. My, he used to take my sister and me with him. My mom went to nursing school. Mm-hmm. Um, so he babysat us all the time. And one of his old uh, chip, uh, chippy buddies, this guy named Mac, that had already been fired from the CHP for accepting bribes and using stolen credit cards and really uh, not painting a really lovely picture of the, uh, the LA, the part- the LA police force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Mac had gone to prison for mo- for money laundering and counterfeit money and stuff like that. And so he got out of prison and had his money still. So he, um, wanted to get into the strip club business. And my dad was, you know, um, you know, making more money selling used cars than he, uh, than he was as a CHP officer, but we were still pretty poor. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to say poor, but it was, you know, like a lot of spaghettios and, you know. Yeah, like um, working, working class. Yeah, kind. working class. Yeah, like I sure. think your typical 70s family, you know, with yeah. like TV dinners and, you know, watching the boob tube and the bionic woman and all that. And then. Uh, Living the but, dream. Living, yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, sure, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could go back. Uh, yeah, and then when I was eight, um, so in 1977, um, my dad uh, and Mac bought their first strip club called the Jet Strip. Mm-hmm. And um, my Mac could not be a business owner, have a business license, because if you're a felon, you can't own a business license. And he, so he wanted, you know, some like white guy, you know, my dad was like this Republican white guy, family of two family, you know, two kids. So my dad owned the business, but they were partners together. Um, And so they opened up the first business, the jet strip. And then um, my dad would take us to the strip club to babysit us because my mom was in nursing school. And so my sister and I would hang out a lot. You know, the first time we went to the strip clubs, we were like seven and nine and I mean, we just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you know, like, first of all, your dad's the owner. You can, like, you know, eat all the maraschino cherries that you want. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> that is so crazy. As a kid, it's like, you know. And then uh, I remember, like, the first time we went to the strip club, uh, the Jet Strip. Um, I mean, my sister and I were so excited. It was like going to Disneyland for the first time, you know. And my mom was, of course, very upset. Like, she totally ignored my dad. Like, she yeah. was not cool about it. My mom's very you know, Christian. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we get to the club at like 11 on a Sunday and my, well, before we got there like 10, cause you'd be open by 11 and my dad let us dance on the, on the stage and he's playing the Bee Gees and he's got the disco lights and, you know, then all of a sudden like the strippers started coming in for work and then, you know, uh, we went up to the bar and they made us Shirley temples. And I mean, it was, we thought it was great, man. You know, that so. so wild. That's totally just like a scene from some crazy seventies, like family movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, 
and then my dad's business was obviously floor, you know, men love seeing naked women that, you know, so it's always a constant. So, so they, they, bought, did a, they did a good business and bought more clubs. It was great. Stuff, yeah. Or? I mean, the business was doing very well. We moved to Westlake village which is like, like, you know, uh, swankier area of Ventura County. And then, uh, you know, I mean, our whole lives changed. I mean, <laughs> parents enrolled us in, you know, Catholic, private Catholic school. I survived. Really? You would say you went to, you went to oh, a Catholic school my, too? All girls, nuns. I'm not Catholic by the way, you know? Yeah. So I lasted three and a half years before I jumped ship. Nobody's um, really Catholic, are they? No, I don't think so. Oh my God. So I just like the costumes and the rituals and stuff. It's ridiculous. I mean, so yeah, so imagine I'm like during the day, I'm like spending my time with like a bunch of nuns and wearing uniforms and praying, you know, walking, you know, walking a mile to church every Friday, going to see, you know, religious movies like Chariots of Fire. <laughs> and then on the weekends, I'm like hanging out at the jet strip, you know? <laughs> so weird. That is so. crazy. Yeah. And then my dad started, he, he and Mac owned three, they owned three clubs as partners, but at one point they had investments into about 14 strip clubs in the LA area. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty intense. I mean, I mean, there was just like money everywhere. Like there was like hundred dollar bills all over my dad's house. And, you know, he would just come up, he would come visit me and just get, you know, when I was like up in college or when I lived up in Marin and worked at Lucasfilm, he would just give me like, a uh an envelope of hundred dollar bills my roommate oh well, my, my you know dead bestie ann hurley was she called mm -hmm. him daddy bucks she was like oh you got some more daddy bucks i'm like yeah you want some you know so wow. it was crazy it was just it was just so such an opulent like uh lifestyle but i never i mean i i i always had a really good work ethic because i remembered what it was like when we didn't have the money and i also remembered watching my dad work so hard, you know, first as a cop. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we used to go to the help my dad, you know, detail cars and stuff. He would show us how to take care of the cars and armor all and all this stuff. And so, so were you, so you and your dad were really pretty close as when you were, when you were a kid. Yeah, I was really close with my dad. I, you know, I always, were I you with your mom too? Do you think? I was, you know, it's my, my mom was like a very much like a, a housewife kind of woman growing up, you know, she, you know, made, you know, made her lunches for school and, you know, did the dishes and the laundry. And, um, did she wind up becoming a nurse? Eventually? She, she became a nurse. Yeah. She is still volunteering as a nurse and, wow. um, she became a nurse. Good for her. Um, but it, it was always my dad. My dad was like the open, adventurous one. My, my mm -hmm. mom's a little bit of an ice queen when it comes to talking <laughs> about feeling. I mean, I know, right? Feelings and stuff. Um, and my dad, I mean, my dad was the one that was like instilled like a sense of adventure and, and confidence. Like he yeah. always pushed me to like, you know, you could always do better. You could always do better. So it was, yeah, I was always really close with my dad. So. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Did you have like grandparents that you had around too on either side or um, like, did so, you, could you see where some of that came from for both of them? You know, no. I mean, my parents have had both kind of tragic childhoods. I mean, my, my dad uh, came from a family of nine. He was abused physically um, and <laughs> sexually by his mother and her boyfriends. My dad's father was sent to an insane asylum and died wow. there in New Jersey. He was an alcoholic and he started having seizures. So he became, he was committed to an institution 
And his wife, you know, my dad's mother found out that if she didn't sign for him to be released, he would stay there forever. So she left him there and he died in the institution in Jeez. the sixties. Wow. Um, I met my, 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 paternal grandmother a few times, but my dad hated her. Like my dad hmm. hated his mother so much that like, you know, I never really considered her a grandma. She died when I was 10. And then on my mom's side, my mother's, my mother's mom died when my mom was 15. She was an only child and she never met her father because her wow. mother, her mother died when she was 40. Her mother had been married three times by the time she was 40 and had just my mom hmm. and, but I did know my great grandmother on my mom's side, grandma Bush, and she died when I was about eight. So I did, she's the grandmother that I consider. And I have very That's vivid so interesting. Memories. Did your, did your mom and dad, did they, not to go off to like no, Freudian tangents here, but I'm just sort of fascinated by your family background. Like did, did your parents meet, on the East Coast, or did they meet in California? Do you know? I mean, oh, I know everything. I mean, ironically, my parents met in Victorville. My mom, after my mom died, her she was living with her 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 grandmother, and she kind of got shuffled amongst relatives, and really had no friends. I mean, she lived with adults, like alcoholic mm -hmm. smoking adults, and then they shipped her out to Lancaster which is where one of her aunts lived. And she finished high school there and was working at the A&W as a car hop in Victorville. My dad had just gotten out of the army and had moved to Victorville and was working at a cement factory because family, because friends of his that he grew up with in Hoboken were stationed at an air force base there. So hmm. my parents met at an A&W uh, root beer in Victorville. So he was, uh, he got out of the army. Was, was he in Vietnam or? No, he, he never, um, he, I think he was stationed mostly in Virginia. Oh, yeah. Um, he was in the army for three years and then left. Um, I think cause he didn't want to go to Vietnam. So he got out of the yeah, army sure. and, uh, worked at, was working at a cement factory. And that's how my parents met at wow. the A&W in Victorville. So now at what point, so you go to the, you went to a Catholic high school. Yes. And then yeah. I transferred to a public, which was the one of the best decisions still to this day I've ever made because it just changed, you know, my life with my friends and everything. So, yeah. So just going to a public high school, you just made more friends and different diverse group of people. Exactly. And boys, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably good too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm curious, like, so you, you talk about like a lot of, you know, things I think that a lot of us growing up in the 70s can remember, like watching, you know, the bionic, bionic, bionic woman, or like, you know, weird seventies TV shows and TV yeah. dinners and all that kind of, you know, five channels, KTLA. And, right. You know, yeah, exactly. KCOP and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> did, were you a, a movie fan as a kid? Did you go see a lot of movies? Oh, always. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear the trash behind me. Oh no, um, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, and I've worked with this through my therapist. I think just because of the <laughs> upbringing, I, I literally had therapy right before this this uh, session. Um, I it's think, just more of the same, really. I know it is. It is, except this one's free. <laughs> well, actually, I have to no, you have to pay for the hosting of this episode. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, so I, it's crazy. I always.
always was a movie and a TV fan. I mean, I was obsessed with the Bionic Woman and Wonder Woman. Um, I had a share Barbie doll. Um, <laughs> I would watch Donnie and Marie, you know, oh, show. Yeah. And um, I, and then, you know, um, my, and then, you know, Star Wars. Uh, so, so you were probably had, nine, right? When you saw Star Wars? I was. It came out yeah. in May of 77. God, wait, no. 77. I was still eight when it came out. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, cause, uh, yeah. Tar you were the target demographic. Just I like was. Me. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, I remember seeing the hype and I, I remember not being interested at all. And I, mm -hmm. uh, and my parents had gone to see it. And my, I remember my dad coming home and was like, said to my sister and me, you know, we're like six and eight, like, you've got to see this movie. And we were like, no, we have no interest. Like, you know, it sounds, you know, terrible. And like, what, what is sci-fi and, you know, and, um, it sounds scary. I really thought it was scary. Um, and well, it's, a, it's a war. I mean, that sounds pretty. Frightening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Darth Vader and, and then like, so, but so by the time, so I think my parents saw it at Grauman's Chinese theater, which is where they had the big premiere in Hollywood. Um, but by the time, we saw it had been out for a while we saw it in at this small like mall in ventura and um and saw it and i mean i i remember to this day we saw a matinee and we came out and my sister and i were just so full of energy and like it was just like the this the biggest high i had experienced as a kid you know it's so cool yeah like and then and then also you know so i mean i was I immediately became obsessed with Star Wars. I made my mom take me to Mervyn's and I bought, I had Star Wars <laughs> sheets. I had Star Wars tins. I had the figurines. I had Star Wars pajamas. You know, I, I'm mean, at the full nine yards. And then um, I remember one year <laughs> for Halloween, my sister and I are watching TV and there's like a knock on the garage door. And so I go to open it and it was Darth Vader um, I mean, it was my dad dressed as Darth Vader and I screamed bloody murder, you know, and I started crying and my dad like took off the mask and started laughing. He's like, it's me, it's me, you know? Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. And then also, you know, with Star Wars, I mean, when we were, went to the strip clubs, you know, which was a lot, you had to be babysat. Um, that's when, you know, they started coming out with the beta, you know, beta tape yeah. players. And my dad had a bootlegged copy of Star Wars. So, uh, you know, that's really what we would do. We would go to the jet strip. My dad would put on Star Wars and we would get, you know, a burger, fries and a Coke from the kitchen downstairs, you know, the strip club kitchen and just watch Star Wars. I mean, so I probably watched Star Wars at the strip clubs, like really like 200 times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you never got old of it. I mean, I, I do literally think we wore out the tape and the tape broke. And I think I remember crying. And so was dad. that like for you then, like that was kind of, was that like a kind of a gateway movie? Did you then, of course you probably, I'm sure saw, of course, all the sequels and stuff, but were there, did you get into seeing other kinds of films too? Were you at all like a cinephile oh. or were you more of like a, just a Star Wars kid or? No, I was into all films. Like, I mean, I really got into sci-fi after that. Like, you know, um, you know what, remember Silent Running with Bruce Stern with the three, you know, with Huey, Dewey and Louie. Like, yep. I loved yeah. that movie. Such um, a weird, like hippie 60s kind of environmental kind yeah. of message. 
Yeah. And then, you know, I was watching Star Trek and the Planet of the Apes and I, uh, yeah. And then, you know, uh, Greece came out. I think, oh, I think yeah. the two, I think the two, three, the first three movies I remember just falling in love with were like Star Wars, Greece and Xanadu. Like I love Xanadu it's to this day. I don't care what anyone says. It's on my top 10, you know? It's magic, right? The song oh, magic is. is in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the roller skating, because you know, yeah. in the 70s, it was they sure. would, it was all about the roller disco. And um, yeah. That was so a big I, thing in the 70s growing up in Southern California. I don't know if it was nationwide, but we're uh, skating parties at roller rinks, like in yeah. like elementary school and middle school. That oh, yeah. So <laughs> oh my God. I mean, my, when I was in elementary school, I was like, I was in, I remember I was in sixth grade and we used to go to the roller rink, you know, for, it was like on school night across from the Kmart. And I would wear like, I had, you know, like the, the red, like uh shiny, the satiny jacket. yeah, the satin jacket yeah. and everything. And then I remember the next year when I went to Lorena, the Catholic school, I used to go, I used to sneak into my elementary school roller rink party nights. And I remember one time one of the teachers pulled me over and it's like, Laurel, didn't you graduate last year? And I was like, no, I was in fifth grade last year. <laughs> you just wanted, you just wanted to skate, man. I know. I was, I was on the, That's so uh, yeah. cool. right. I know. It was such yeah. a, I mean, that, that era of, uh, of life growing up in California, I think is I, there. I have such a crazy nostalgia for that time. Like it's yeah. so strange thinking back on, how weirdly innocent everything seemed then too in a strange way oh i know it, it was and i you know i think maybe I just think we about were it. more innocent i don't know <laughs> yeah well just like also like i look at you know life now with kids and you know i feel like we were like the last generation before like cell phones and everything i can't imagine yeah, before computers even really yeah no i mean i mean literally like Home for computers, you know anyway. yeah we you know for entertainment we used to like hang climb the tree in our front yard or like hang from the tree or play hide and seek with the kids on the street you know and you just had to be home by desk i mean it was just like or you bike ride you just bike ride around the block like yeah it was free so free simple. range kids for sure yeah yeah actually yeah. it's interesting I've, I've been talking to a lot of people on on this and a lot of the kind of you know technical um people who kind of moved into real technical roles at the at ilm they a lot of them talked about uh, the physical activity of taking something apart, taking apart a VCR, taking apart a television or a radio, and like that kind of real like hands-on sort of deconstruction of you know technological objects. Which you know nowadays I I look at you know some of the kids I teach or my own kid, and you know everything they buy is this hermetically sealed. Um, or every electronic is this sealed thing. You don't have those same kind of like, you can't just bust out a screwdriver and open up your iPhone. I mean, you can, but it would be no, I know, challenging, yeah. you know? No, totally. I, in fact, one of uh, someone I used to work with at MTV gave me this like Darth Vader head. And mm -hmm. when you press the button, it breathed Darth Vader and I loved it. <laughs> and then the battery stopped working. Yeah. So, uh, and I couldn't figure out the screws are so small. Um, so I actually took it to a, a hardware store and I'm like, Hey, can you guys help me replace this battery? Like, and, but it was like a, it was a one-off. Like you had to just throw it away. They were like, if we take it apart, we're going to, we're going to break it. Yeah, and I was just sucks. like, I mean, you uh, granted I was, you know, 49, but I was still bummed. <laughs> I was like, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if it's just a fun, even a fun little 
tchotchke type of thing like that. It's like, it's sad that it's something that's so disposable. Yeah, I know. It makes me sad because, I mean, you used to always be able to fix things, you know? Yeah. So you would go to Radio Shack. Back in the old and- days, things were made to last. I know, right? Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, you know, it's so funny speaking of like relatives. So I had a great, um, great Aunt Bessie. She was my mom's aunt. She lived to be 103. Oh, wow. And she was born in 1895. I asked her what, uh, the, what she thought the best, best invention was. And she said it was the washing machine because she remembers like the actual like physical like you know washing boards and yeah. scrubbing. And I thought, oh, hanging God. stuff up on the clothesline and although yeah. clotheslines are still kind of cool. Yeah, they're coming back. Save you some dough. Get your get exactly. really stiff jeans when they dry. Yeah, sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so all right, so you go so you go to the Catholic school, you leave the Catholic school, you finish up high school at the public school. And yep. do you have, while you're in high school, do you have like uh, any kind of sense of what it is that you want to do? Where do you, do you want to go to college? Do you have a, like a, a major in mind or anything like that? I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, of course I knew it wasn't even a question to go to college at that time. I mean, you know, my yeah. parents were very strict and still my parents were very strict and very controlling. And so, uh, I mean, of course I went to college, I went to UCSB and honestly, in high school, you know, my two biggest interests were dancing. I was a big dancer. I was taking dance five days a week, you know, ballet, tap, jazz. And uh, uh, and I also loved French. I was like French club president in high oh, school. Right. And so I, um, when I started out at UCSB, ironically enough, I started out as a computer science major. Really? I, also, I did love computers. In high school, I took yeah. programming, like, yeah, I'm talking like basic, you know, like the that's basic. cool though. Basic. I didn't even know that. I didn't know. You yeah. Didn't. Yeah. And my parents actually, when my, when my sister and I were like 12 and 14, my mom sent my sister and me during the summer, we went to computer camp at Pepperdine in Malibu. Oh, cool. And so I did, I always was really good with computers and like computers. But so when I started at UCSB, I thought I was going to be a computer science major. And then I just realized I didn't want to do it. And so I started out as a dance major and I was um, and I loved it, but you know, my very, my very controlling father was like, you won't make any money as a dance major. So I switched to French major. And then my dad's like, you're not going to make any money as a French teacher, <laughs> you know, because of, of course my dad wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, yeah, he wanted yeah. me to make a lot of money and sure. you know, blah, blah, blah. So I got, I ended up, uh, getting a useless degree in communications. I mean, it was called the MRS degree. You it's know, like it a liberal degree. arts degree though. Right. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I don't know that know. it's useless. An undergrad degree, like in my opinion, like having something that's really broad and that allows you to sort of sample all kinds of different courses and, you know, yeah. it, it prepares you for other things in a different way than something that has a real focused specificity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, and I mean, all of my, you know, electives and my, you know, every other class I took was French or dance anyway. So, yeah. um, so yeah, at least I didn't end up with a home ec degree. <laughs> so what, yeah, yeah, that's true. That would have been a, kind of a bummer. So what, so what happens after, after university? Do you like, would so, you go back to LA or? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny when you're in college and you know, you're nearing graduation and you feel like you're like the king of the hill. You're like, I am like big man on campus. And then it like reality sets, you know, and you're like, I want to work outside and, you know, I don't want to work in an office and, you know, you've got all these like your wish list of what you want to do. And, and then, you know, reality sets in with graduation. So I had 
uh, a friend from high school named Laura and she was at UCSD San Diego. And she was like, let's get jobs and live in LA together. Cause I had no clue what I was going to do. And I'm like, okay. So we both, uh, get jobs in LA. Um, but then instead of moving in with me, she moved in with her boyfriend. So (laughs) now husband, you know, so it worked out for the best, but, um, (laughs) so I got it. So I just, I, um, I lived because she moved in with her boyfriend. I lived with my parents and my, but my dad was like, I mean, it was such a bummer because all my friends were like going on cruises to Mexico or going backpacking for a year in Europe. And my dad was like, you need to get a job. So I went to the UCLA job board. Um, and I knew I wanted to work in entertainment. Like I knew I wanted to work in movies cause I just loved movies, you know? And, yeah. um, um, so I applied at like Fox, you know, Fox, uh, Fox and HBO and Showtime and, and Playboy. I interviewed, I, I mean, I, I, I put in a, um, a resume at Playboy. They were looking for a legal coordinator. And I'd actually, during the summer in high school, I had worked for my dad's strip club attorneys. <laughs> wow. So I had, I had previous legal experience. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so I applied for a job at Playboy, and then six weeks after college graduation, I started working at Playboy. Wow, that so, is so wild! What what a crazy, weird, like it, first post college gig. I know, and of course, everyone thought my dad got me the job, and I'm like, no, yeah. you know, I got my. I so got what my job. was where was that? Was it located like where it was it downtown or where? where no, where? so Playboy at the time was on. Um, I mean, you know, they had more than. I mean, they, obviously, made, the headquarters was in Chicago, but okay. we had offices. It was like video and cable um, offices were video, video, cable, and even. I mean, like we had the we had the one of the uh, photo shoot studios was on the first floor in Los Angeles. So it's just a production office essentially. Yeah. We were on, we were on Sunset Boulevard. I mean, really we were across the street from all those parking lots on Sunset Strip that my dad used to work at in the seventies. And what kind of work would would you be doing? Were you doing mostly like, like it was like a legal assistant. So were you doing like helping prepare documents and like, Oh yeah. That's all I did was like, write, you know, like 20 page legal documents every day. And, you know, one of the, one of the big things I had to do when I started, I mean, it was just so funny. It was so quintessential playboy, I guess. Like, I mean, I was such, I had, I had lived in such a bubble, like three weeks after I start the head of the legal department gets fired because he'd been having an affair with his secretary. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh my God, these things really, you, know, you see it in the movies, but when you see it for the first, you're like, this shit really does happen. Man. That guy really is a playboy. I can't believe it. He slept with the secretary, you know? And then, um, so yeah, one of the things, so first of all, I had to answer the phones for everyone. And this is before yeah. voicemail, you know? So I had a typewriter, was no computer, you know, so I had to type everything, lots of liquid paper little messages and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Phone. No email. Like I had to type out memos. And, um, but one of the big things I had to do, which was just such a crack up, so um, Tracy Lords had admitted, I think in like 91, that she was, that all of her movies that she made except one were when she was 18. So basically she, Tracy Lords started making porn movies when she was about 15, I think. Mm-hmm. And she got a fake ID. She got a fake birth certificate. And so we, and we were putting, you know, so basically the attorneys had to watch all the um, the films that we put on the Playboy channel and edit out any penetration because you couldn't have penetration on the Playboy channel. 
So I would, and so everyone is in an office and I'm just- So this episode just got the explicit tag. Oh, it did? Oh, yeah. I'm no. sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized like, oh, no, Well, there's, all, there's always one. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and it had to be Laura. It had to be me. Yeah. yeah. So basically I would be sitting in my desk outside listening to like bow chicka bow bow music all day long with like heavy breathing. <laughs> and um, anyway, and then, yeah, so Tracy Lords had lied about being- being of age when she did all of her films. So we had to have all these actors, you know, come back in <laughs> and I had to get uh, two forms of identification and have them sign releases saying that they were of age when they made all the films. So um, the adult films, you know, huh, so. yeah, just a little legally shady work there maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we pulled all of her movies, Yeah. but then, but then all the other movies and all the playmates had to come in. And, you know, they had to show me like a passport and a driver's license. And, you know, so I got to, I met Pam Anderson and, you know, all the planets. It's so hard to imagine, time. like, what is that world like now in this new era? Like, I mean, because just the description of so much of that sounds so, um, like, un-PC un in so many ways. <laughs> oh, it was. I mean, the whole thing was so un-PC. I mean, definitely at Playboy. And, you know, and actually, you know, so I worked there from 90 to 93. And Christy mm -hmm. Hefner was our CEO, you know, Hef's daughter. Right. Um, but it was still a very misogynist environment. I mean, the, the women were secretaries and the yeah. men were managers. Yeah. Um, my I mean, boss. It seems like that's kind of the, the MO of the the veneer of that organization seems to be founded yeah. on that, that principle, you know? Yeah. I mean, my boss was a woman, you know, and actually you know, she's one of my best friends today, 30 years later. And I, she would, she would get bullied by the senior legal staff. I mean, it was, and you, I could see it. They were just threatened by her, you know, <laughs> and she would stick up to them. And then like, um, you know, and then I remember there's an instance where, you know, we had a mail room and it was two male guys. And so they just had centerfolds plastered all over um, the mail room. And, you know, I guess some women went to HR complaining about it. And HR was like, this is our product, you know. I mean, it was just the way it was. It was just yeah, accepted. So strange. Right? That's oh my crazy. Gosh. Yeah. So you're there till you're there till 93. And what what prompts your departure from there? Like, what do you do after that? Well, so what happened was I was at working at Playboy and I, I, I just hated it. Like uh, the only good, because everyone that was there was basically miserable. It was basically like a, uh, an interim job to get to their next production job. And everyone yeah. wanted to work at like Warner brothers or, you know, not, no one wanted to be there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I only stayed because I loved my boss so much and I learned a ton from her and she treated me with respect. Like she, yeah. you know, she didn't treat me like an assistant, you know, and she would, she would send me off to UCLA to, to do research on cable rights in China. Like, you know, so it, I loved working with her and, but I was, I was miserable. And I also was just really not happy living in LA. Mm -hmm. So I asked her for a leave of absence and I moved to Jackson hole for the summer because for in the summer of 92. Why Jackson hole? Where did that come from? We had family friends that lived there in Jackson Hole, and they were like, if you want to come visit anytime. So, and in college, I had worked at a bead store. And so I interviewed at the bead store in Jackson Hole and got a job. So I took my leave of absence from Playboy. I moved to Jackson Hole and worked at a bead store in the town square. Oh, wow. Um, and then, I know, right? And then, 
the woman, their names are Connie and Paul. I love that they've died, but I love them dearly. They were like second parents to me. I had so much fun with them. It was such a simple life. It was like taking How walks. How did you do that for? I did that for three months. Um, oh, wow. And then I came, and then the highlight was though that Connie was the manager of the private airport. So she knew all of the celebrities and the big honchos that used to come in and out. Right. Yeah. And Cause that's she, like a big, that's a big celebrity yeah. hideaway is uh, Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. And um, she knew Harrison Ford and his wife at the time, Melissa Matheson, who, you know, wrote the screenplay for ET. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we live, Harrison lived at the end of the street from where we lived. So I would see him drive by. So Connie and Paul <laughs> got invited to this, society party in Jackson Hole. It was called a Jackson Hole land trust um, that they have in Jackson where people donate land that'll never be built on. So I, I came with Connie and Paul and I met Harrison Ford and his wife. And I would, um, as you can that imagine, is so I was cool. just, sure. yeah, I was so blown away. Harrison really could care less about me. You know, right, yeah. it yeah. was like awkward, but mo like Melissa Matheson was so nice and pleasant and was checking in on me like it was and then like that was it i was sold i was like i i came back to playboy and i was like i want to work at lucasfilm i want to I, I wanted to work somewhere where i was proud to say i worked there you that's know? interesting so so you like lucasfilm was on your radar already it, that was it it was like lucasfilm or bust that was oh, it that's you cool know? i didn't i didn't know that that was like a like a a direct path based choice that you made. Like, I wasn't sure how you got there. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever knew that story. Yeah. And it's crazy. Cause I mean, my, my determination was like unparalleled because like, you know, back then I was not as, you know, assertive and, uh, you know, extroverted. I was, I'm always you an extrovert. pretty extroverted. Yeah, you're right. But I was you're like, really outgoing. I was really, I, I was not good at like networking and, you know, networking back in that day meant making a phone call. It didn't yeah. mean like texting or sending a message or emailing. It's, and a, so, it's an important and difficult muscle to build. I think when you're young, it's like the, having an awareness of the importance of networking and how much that can really help get you where you want to go. The, the opportunities that can come up through that, I think you become as obvious as you get older, but I think when you're young and you're starting out, like that's not immediately apparent to everyone how how so much of your trajectory is really based on relationships, you know, and who yeah. you oh. know and, and who knows who. And, and I think that's super important. Oh, it is. I mean, every job I've gotten except Playboy has been through a connection. So, I mean- So how did um, you get up to Lucasfilm then? How did that- so I came back to Playboy and I had a friend, Deborah, that worked at Playboy and she, I told her that, you know, I wanted to work at Lucasfilm. I wanted, and she like knew someone who knew someone who knew, it was like such a stretch, but the person that knew someone that knew someone was David Tanaka. No way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's so and cool. so I was so nervous. Um, but I called David Tanaka and, you know, said I was given your name by, you know, this woman who I didn't know, you know, and, um, David was like, well, you know, yeah, you know, keep, you know, let, do you know what you want? And if, I had no idea, you know, like, anything. Um, yeah, anything. I'm a Star Wars fan. Just hire me, you know? And David's uh, like, just the nicest guy, like you could ever want to meet. Like, oh, just such I know. a sweet, like kind yeah. Such a good, we, he and I are still really close. Like we text all the time. We talked on the phone. Cool. Like 
he is awesome. And yeah. so um, I ended up quitting Playboy because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a job down, like being down here when I need to like go up there. And, you know, so I quit my job. I gave up my apartment. I moved in with my parents, you know, and started faxing my resume, you know, to like Lucasfilm and, but like other places, like I think I applied at like propaganda, mm -hmm. um, some other like effects houses, but I knew I wanted to get into like effects and I really wanted to work at Lucasfilm, but I thought I should just start applying, you know, at other places. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I flew up to the Bay area specifically to meet with David for like coffee, you know, and we had a great, I think, I think he, oh, he took me to Foodles. I think we went to Foodles. <laughs> and um, so I we went say, to. <laughs> and you, I like you were going to say we had a great lunch. And then you're like, yeah, oh, we went I to was, Foodles. I was going to say we had a great lunch. No, we went to Foodles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had some fried, like, cockroach sandwich. I know, right? So we went to Foodles and he's like, I will, um, you know, I had my resume, which had like, you know, one job on it, Playboy. I mean, and also like in college, I was an RA. So mm -hmm. I had that, which I think was great. I was an RA. I, I had the bead store, you know. Well, yeah, you were you were somebody who had been doing things where you were in at least like you know low level positions of responsibility, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for so, a young person, like you're you're taking charge of stuff. Yeah, totally. And so I was just like laser focused. So, um, so then of course you know this is before email and everything. So I sent you know I went to like Hallmark store. And just started buying like a ton of thank you cards, knowing that I was going to have to start sending out cards. And mm -hmm. so I sent David a card and, you know, thank you so much for meeting with me. And then he sent my resume to Zoe Hare, who was doing HR at Lucasfilm at the ranch. And she called me for an interview for like, it was like a legal clerk position. Um, and so I flew up again to the Bay Area and I interviewed her with her at the ranch and I was just like, on, How amazing you know, would that be too? yeah, like, oh, I was like sneaking in pictures, like, you know, with like my like, you know, disposable, like Instamatic, you know, yeah, like sure. <laughs> taking I mean, pictures so, of like the driveway. That's something that like, you know, the first, the, I got to go to the ranch for the first time as an intern in 1992. And I feel like that's something that like, you know people have seen pictures of it. A lot of people have been lucky to get a chance to go there, but the first time you get to go to Skywalker ranch, like it's, it's, oh, just it's like seems, Mecca. It's yeah. unreal. Like it's like, it is, it's like Disneyland, but it's like a thousand times cooler than Disneyland would ever want to be and more authentic and real. And like, I don't well, know, it yeah. was gorgeous there too. It's just such a beautiful setting and Oh, I know. Yeah. And the vineyards and the lake. And, you know, I mean, the whole time I was like, God, oh, they're going to kick me out any minute. They're going to yeah. find out. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, 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 exactly. Riddled so with I, imposter syndrome. Yeah. So I interviewed with Zoe and she, of course, said, you're overqualified for the position. Hmm. And I was like, no, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, I'll take anything just to get in. And she said she was very sweet. She was like, you know, and I still talk to Zoe. I love her. Yeah, so, she's great. Zoe was like, you know, um, people say that they'll take anything, but she's like, you will be bored very quickly. You know, you're overqualified and I don't want you to take something that you don't want. And it was at the ranch and, you know, it was a blessing in disguise because, um, but the, so then a heck I, of a drive. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's very <laughs> isolating out there. I mean, it's yeah. beautiful, but it's, uh, it doesn't have the, the work environment that ILM had for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously. Yeah. So um, so then I started sending Zoe thank you cards. So then it was David and it was Zoe. And then, 
Um, and then I thought, well, I've got to move up to the Bay Area because I'm not going to get a job in LA. I mean, if I'm living in LA at my parents' house. So I moved up to the Bay Area and got, a, got an apartment in Sausalito with no job. Okay, this is like in July of 93. And um, I remember, and I knew like two people in the Bay Area. And I remember spending July 4th weekend, July 4th in my apartment with my cat Bubby crying, thinking, what have I done? You know, <laughs> this is a huge mistake. What have I done? Yeah, and those then, are hard moments in any life. Like when you, if you roll the dice and go for it and you're like kind of in a new space where you don't know many people, like, and when you're young and you're kind of isolated and alone, that can be really, really hard. But I also think too, that's another really cool part of your story is like that you, you had that drive and that passion and that desire to go for it. Like, you're just like, I'm going to do this. Even if it was, even if there were those days and those nights or whatever, where like, it's hard, like you went yeah. and you did it, you know, like that takes some real guts, I think. No, it does. I look back now and I, I can't, I really can't believe it because, you know, everything, you know, that changed everything for me, you know? And so I, so the Monday after the 4th of July weekend, I get a call from Doug Kay at ILM and Catherine Tate was uh, Doug's coordinator, the CG coordinator, but she was starting to do Roto. And so Catherine needed, and she, you know, CG was starting, when I started at CG, it was like 20 people, you know? Yeah. yeah. This is, so I started, I started at ILM. I literally started July 8th of 93. And then I was, I was, it was just a temp job. It was three months. I was, I was, I was just a temp, you know, no benefits, nothing. And then after three months, they hired me full time. How cool and I though, mean, too, to go to work with Doug. Like, I mean, just the, yeah. such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. And Catherine was amazing, you know, yeah, and, um, and I mean, I was just in heaven because there was Star Wars stuff everywhere, you know, and then David Tanaka and I would go out to lunch. And I mean, it was just and, you know, and it was crazy because they had an email, they had like the Unix email and I was yeah, like, this yeah. is crazy. But I, so I had, a, yeah, I had <laughs> right. an email account, but I didn't have any friends to email, you know? <laughs> That's cool. So, so you start working there, you're working essentially as like the, it's the CG department coordinator. Was that the title? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And what were the shows that were happening right then? Had Jurassic had come out? Or oh, the my first task was cleaning up the production office for Jurassic Park. So I had it was like Jurassic Park, um, Flintstones. Oh yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. What else was there? Uh, Forrest Gump. Oh yeah, um, that was huge. That was a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, God, so I mean, so The Mask. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what was the, what's the Tim Burton one with, um, Mars attacks? Like, you yeah, know, the whole, when you, well, you were at ILM, was that your primary job title? I don't remember what. Your... Well, so, I mean, I was at Lucasfilm for seven years, but as I'm sure, I don't know if you remember, but I jumped around. So I was a, I was a yeah. CG coordinator at ILM uh -huh. and then Doug K took an offer at LucasArts. Oh, which, right. you know, was in a different building across the street. Yeah. They were kind of like the nerdy, geeky, like uncool crowd gamers. <laughs> and I did not want to go. <laughs> it was called games. Remember, we didn't, we didn't even give it the, give it the respect to call it LucasArts. We just said games. That's what it yeah. was called. <laughs> and I did not want to go. Cause remember they're like all playing hacky sack in the parking lot. I'm like, Oh no, you know, <laughs> it's going to smell like patchouli oil over there. <laughs> 
but the, I mean, at, at ILM, there was really nowhere for me to go, like, because CG had expanded. First, it was just Doug Kay and George Joblove. And it was all of CG, but then it got divided out into 2D, 3D, you know. Um, well, and then Roto. they had their commercials division too, and all yeah, that was kind of split out too. Exactly. So I, and, you know, basically Doug made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went over to um, uh, LucasArts and I was his assistant. I was uh, the graphics coordinator still, but I was also help desk supervisor help desk. And I was also doing shipping and receiving oh, wow. for everything. So, uh, and I was kind of creating the processes over there that I had learned that, that we were implementing at ILM. So, mm -hmm. and teach and, and also just trying to integrate the two companies to work together more, like yeah. you know, kind of doing more stuff with like the IT departments and, um, you know, art, the visual effects artists and stuff. And so, um, so I was at Lucas, I was at LucasArts for God, I think like, and then, I, so LucasArts, I was a CG coordinator. I was the coordinator. I was like the department coordinator there. Then I became the help desk supervisor. No, help desk coordinator. Mm -hmm. Then I got promoted to senior technician, like desktop technician. And then I had always, always, always wanted to work on a film at ILM. Like, I loved working at LucasArts. I met great people there as well. But it was just my dream to work on a film. So when I was at LucasArts, I was uh, training uh, in the trailers behind ILM and I was doing training for Roto well, and yeah. I did training for six months and I got a reel together and Susan Kelly was, you know, the lead for um, the Roto supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I got a job working on Phantom Menace. I mean, you know, that's awesome. You can't, <laughs> right. Right. You cannot beat that. Like, you, you know, so as far as like a dream come true, Although I did not get a credit, but um, yeah, so I well, worked. Well, that happens, on, yeah. It's okay. So I worked um, on. I did Roto, and I worked uh, on Phantom Menace. That was my first film, and then I worked on Wild Wild West, and that was oh, yeah. my official first film credit. Well, and only. Um, <laughs> so I worked on Wild Wild West, and then after that, I got laid off, which I knew I would. You yeah. know, they said it was. They said it would be like four to seven months, but I was like, "Fuck it," you know. I'm not gonna. Yeah. You know. And then, um, and then LucasArts hired me back as the the manager of the IT department. So, and, and how then, long how long did you stay on? Like, what year did you leave the Lucas companies? I left April twenty first of two thousand was my last day. Oh right. Okay. So I th and that was right when I think I had the seven year itch, you know. Yeah. And then um, that's exactly that was what happened to me. Yeah, it's, you know, I was there seven years, I had my friends, um, and then um, I, it was also, but that was also the dot-com bubble, so I got, you know, I got a job as an IT supervisor in San Francisco for a voice recognition software company, making the same amount of money I was making full-time at Lucasfilm, working part-time. Wow, yeah. So, you know, I left, um, and then I worked at the, this com, the startup, but I mean, it was also just kind of like a shit show. Um, mm -hmm. And so I quit, think, I quit that job. I, I think it was like, it was like beginning of October. I think I quit like October 11th or something like that. And then, um, and I was going to take a break and like reevaluate and like maybe do a career change. Cause I'd only ever worked in, well, entertainment, you know, Playboy and Lucas. Sure. So. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, two weeks later, my dad got arrested for murder. So, you know, that was another 
So, you know, that laid out my plan for the next, you know, few years. So. Wow. So that happened after Lucasfilm, after like when we had been friends. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that that was afterwards. I, I was so not clear on the, that the timeline. timeline. Yeah. yeah so no. your dad was arrested for murder and then he was, he was sent to jail, wasn't he? Yeah, he was arrested. So my dad's strip club business partner, Mac, the guy that he knew from, you know, CHP days was a, uh, he had been gunned down and murdered execution style outside of his ranch in Brea, Orange County in 1989, when I was a junior in college. Mm -hmm. And my dad was always a prime suspect, but it, it was case unsolved because Mac was this like, big black guy, like did lots of drugs. He was a Coke dealer would have, you know, beat people up. So he was a very scary guy. So, um, um, so they had no evidence. They had nothing to go on. So it was a case, cold case, you know, and then they reopened the case. I would say like end of 96 and targeted my dad as a prime suspect. My dad is being investigated for three years, made fun of it, said they're wasting their time. They're wasting, you know, like, and then he was arrested. He was arrested. He was put in jail. He never, uh, got bail because they considered him <laughs> flight risk, which, uh, so, um, yeah. So my dad was arrested for murder. So I moved back down to LA, moved in with my mom. We had to go to couples therapy because when you're 32 and move in with your mom and she treats you <laughs> like you're 15, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I helped manage the strip clubs, the three strip clubs. Well, and so I, much stress, like on the family. It was, too, it I'm was, sure. oh, it was just, I mean, it's just unimaginable. It was just, I mean, I was suicidal at one point. It was just terrible. You know, you're, you know, the house was raided. All the clubs were raided. We were all under surveillance. Our phones were tapped. You know, um, anytime I took a meeting, I would take it like outside in the backyard by my parents' pool. Like, or, you know, you'd never, it was just like in the, just like in the Scorsese movies. You know what I mean? It was just, um, yeah. And then a year I hired attorneys. I went to jail on the weekends. I went to all my dad's court hearings. Um, and then my dad, uh, my dad's trial was uh, a year later and he got convicted September 7, 2001 for uh, life in prison for murder. So murder wow. for hire. So he was, he was convicted of hiring someone to kill his business partner. Hmm. So, yeah. So that was um, big. What happened to the businesses and stuff? Are they, were, well, were they sold off or? So initially, as soon as my dad and his current partner were, so my dad and his current partner and one of the managers organized the killing. My dad, Matt, uh, you know, my dad masterminded it and he hired, he, he told his partner to hire someone. So the partner hired one of the club managers to do it. Hmm. So they all, three of them went to prison, but the, my dad's partner and the manager got out in 10 years because they were informants. They, flipped on my dad and, you know, wiretapped him to get him to talk about the murder. Um, so when they got, when they got convicted, my sister and I became the official owners of the strip clubs, because again, you can't be a felon and own a business license. Sure. Uh -huh. So, um, and then, but you know, then business started to tank and, you know, I didn't want to manage strip clubs for the rest yeah. of my life. And so, um, we sold two to the same guy. We sold the Barrel Elegance and Oddball Cabaret to the same guy. And then we kept the Jet Strip, which was the, the initial one. Yeah. And my dad and his partner, David, both owned it you know, jointly. And I would cut the checks for them. And the same manager managed it. Um, and then after that, I just decided... I, I just needed to get out of town. I, I mean, it was such an emotional thing, everything. I mean, I cried I'm all the sure. time. 
you know, but I have to say like, it was my Lucasfilm family. That was, you know, I was so lucky to have all of my friends from Lucasfilm to, mm -hmm. for support. You know, I remember John Ellis was one of the first people to call me when he found out, you know, cause of course I forget who found out at, 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 at ILM, but then of course everyone started calling each other and, you know, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I had a great support system from, you know, Lucasfilm and, uh, so I moved back up to the Bay area and I was just such an emotional wreck still. And I still, my dad still had court hearings cause he hadn't mm -hmm. been sentenced yet and he was still in jail. And, you know, I was worried about my mom, my sister. And so I didn't feel comfortable getting a job and I was just lost. And so I went yeah. to business school. I went to business school at Mills college in Oakland. Oh, you did. Yeah. Because it kept me busy and yeah. I had school, but it was flexible enough that if I needed to go to LA, it was sure. okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, so what did, what did you do with the, I just, so you, so, I mean, that's, that's so heavy. Like, I mean, I could totally, it, I realize now why I probably didn't know much about the timeline around that because the year before you left Lucasfilm, I left Lucasfilm and moved to New York. And so I was totally oh, that's just right. completely yeah. out of the California picture. And like, I was sort of doing a similar thing to what you were describing, like, kind of reinventing my life uh, in New York city, like working on the, those weird Matthew Barney movies and stuff. Oh yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. 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 But that's, uh -huh. so I, I actually had, I think that timeline that you just described is something that I, I don't know that I was ever aware of how and when those events unfolded. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's all news to me. Well, it's so, funny. It's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so you, so you go over to Mills College to, and you're in, it's business school, like getting yeah, an MBA? I got an MBA, which the, the ironic thing is, I'm glad I did it because I'm glad I wanted a higher degree. But to be honest, I learned more running strip clubs. My MBA was my dad being arrested for murder and running strip clubs and managing attorneys. Like, yeah, you you'll know. grow up pretty fast with all that going on. Oh, I did. And you yeah. know, I was 32 and my father was arrested and I just realized what a bubble I had been living in. And, um, I did grow up very fast, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I saw people's true colors and the friends that you think are going to come to, you know, your side and support you um, run away. And then people you barely know are the ones that come to support you. It's yeah, just a fascinating. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like a priceless life lesson that I don't, I have no regrets. Well, obviously I had no, you know, no power over it, but, um, I learned so much. It was such an amazing, um, incredible life, life lesson, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So then I graduated from business school in 2004 and I was in the Bay area and everyone's like working at the gap and you know, William Sonoma. And I thought, Oh man, I love fashion. I love clothes. I'm going to try retail. So I had a friend at Pottery Barn. So uh, through that connection, I got a job uh, doing inventory forecasting for uh, linens, throws, and pillows at Pottery Barn. <laughs> Interesting. Were they headquartered in the Bay Area? <laughs> yeah, right in the financial district. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. huh. Right uh, off of, uh, right by Coit Tower. I think off of, what's, I forget what street it is. It's been so long, like off of, I don't know. Some, some street. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I was at Pottery Barn for three months and I hated it. Like I just hated it. Like retail was terrible. The environment was terrible. It was like a bunch of like skinny blonde girls that worked in the marina and shopped at Banana Republic. And yeah, yeah. you had a dress code. You couldn't wear jeans, couldn't wear flip-flops. It was just so 
not your crowd. Yeah. No, it was so opposite of ILM, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. not, not my crowd at all. Yeah, like, ILM any, had people walking around who refused to wear shoes. Yeah, with like <laughs> bottles of like tequila on their desk. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> rollerblading down the hallways. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I, and I was just so lost because I'd come back up to the Bay Area and it, and I, all my, it was like everyone had moved on. Like everyone mm-hmm. was like engaged or having babies. And I was like, you know, single laurel that that whose dad had just gotten convicted to life in prison for murder poor you you know and then i had some flight attendant friends that through my best friend um that died she was a flight attendant for american airlines so i'd be hanging out the flight attendant friends and they were it it was all so patronizing they're like you know laurel um are you on match um because you know you really need to be dating some someone you know (laughs) They're like, there's something wrong with you if you're not, you know? And so, and I was just like, wait a minute. I just got out of this like, you know, terrible yeah. situation. And the takeaway was, why are you still single? Like, I was just, so I just hmm. thought, so then I talked to my, my best friend, Anne, and she was like, you know, why don't you move to New York? Like, she's like, even for six months, she's like, you got nothing to lose. You can always come back. And I was scared to death. But yeah. so I, tra- I was able to transfer from Pottery Barn to West Elm corporate because West Elm Corporate was, I mean, obviously under the Williams Sonoma umbrella, and they were located in Brooklyn. So uh, I moved to New York. Uh, you know, I had no support from my family. Well, my sister did, but no so one wait, else. wait, what year did you move to New York? I moved to New York. It was 15 years ago yesterday. I moved to New York in December 8th, 2005. Oh, okay, so I was gone by then. So <laughs> <laughs> we just missed each other. I was like, wait, yeah. are we in New York How at the convenient. same time? Yeah. <laughs> So I moved to New You're York. You're following I, me around. That's all. I really am. I still am. I still am. Wait. So I, I'm so curious. So like moving. So as a California kid, that's yeah. me too. Yes. Like moving from California, Southern California in particular, and having that Northern yeah. California experience, like going to New York, like, I mean, for me, I, I always tell my students when I did that, I feel like it's, it's like moving to another country. Oh, it is. It, it's I, so different. It's so different. I mean, moving to the Bay Area from LA is so different. different, And, you know, and then so New York, I mean, this is what I told people the first two years, I felt like I was on vacation, because you're it's just everything. Well, first of all, they've got seasons, you know, snow, you know, the, the, the thunderstorms, you know, the humidity, like, uh, and you know, the buildings are, you know, a build, an old building for us is something built in 1960. And then right. you know, here in New York, <laughs> they've got Trinity church from like the 1600s, you know, and, yeah, and how, how long did it take streets. you, how long did Go it ahead. take for you to feel like New York felt more like home? I, I would say it took, it took, I would say about three years because I got so much guilt from moving to New York and abandoning the family and putting a bigger burden on my mom and my sister to go visit my dad in prison that I was coming. It was really weird. Cause I would fly. I was living in New York in Manhattan, upper West side. I would fly to LA and I'd be like, just go see my dad in prison. I'd be like, okay, no, this is home. But then I would fly to the Bay area and I'd be like, no, this is home. But then I would fly home to New York. And it was just, I really like played schizophrenic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would say about like year three is when I felt like it was my home. Like I, I knew the subway, like the back of my hand, I had my mm-hmm. homies, you know, um, I'd yeah, also I always, like, what, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I always felt like when I, when I moved to New York, the thing about it that 
I think it took me about a year to really feel like I had established a sense of community and a sense of home there. Like it took a while to get into it, but I, I had my own apartment in Williamsburg, like on North eighth, you know, it was, it was before it was really cool to live. Yeah. 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 Right. uh, Right. I had my own place, like a railroad style apartment and and I had a good group of friends and I had a really fun job that I was doing. I started my own business doing the visual effects for the Barney thing. And um, I remember feeling at one point like New York was so much more like frenetic and crazy that it kind of suited my brain more in a weird way yeah. than California did. Like I actually felt really normal in New York where sometimes in California I felt like well, as a younger person, I always felt kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you still are. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been oh, yeah. working on it. <laughs> no, yeah, I totally get it. I mean, it was so funny because everyone that I talked to in California was like, "You'll never make it, in New York. You're too nice. <laughs> you know, you 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 know, you go, you won't get used to the weather." And I, 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 everything was just so easy for me. I think because I was so ready for it that I just like absorbed it like a sponge. I was like, like you needed something that was your own too. It seems like after all of the kind of things that had happened, the really dramatic things in your family, like to have something that was yours. Well, yeah. And I mean, honestly, and I tell my therapist this, like move, I moved to New York when I was 37 and it was like, it was like that feeling when you go off to college for the first time, you know, it was like, I was finally on my own. I was 3000 miles away from my family. So, you know, um, and I, so I quit, I quit West Elm after six months. Cause I, I just did not, you know, you always learn from your mistakes. And my mistake is I retail is, I hate retail. That's you know, not it's, jam. Just, yeah. it's not my jam. It's a hard industry. And, um, um, you know, the number crunching, it's very stressful. Um, and I got a job at MTV. I had a friend whose brother was one of the presidents at MTV and they basically created a position for me. They wanted a direct. They wanted a director of design operations. They wanted someone that had a design that had a design background, but also an ops background. And um, so I worked at MTV for seven years. So no, and didn't um, you wind up with a show on MTV? Yeah. Too? Oh, this was just the best. So I think it was like 2010 or 2000, not 2010. Um, production, the online production started a franchise called MTV Geek, um, where they're like, you know, competing with like Nerdist and stuff like that for like, like, that's um, my demographic. Yeah, totally. And so one of the producers from MTV Geek came over to my cubicle at MTV and was like, hey, we hear that you're like a total Star Wars buff and that you have contacts at Lucasfilm and we want you to report on all things Star Wars. So I actually had two jobs at MTV. I mean, I only got paid for the one job, you know, but <laughs> um, it was so awesome because here I am like at this point in my mid forties and, and, you know, MTV's demographic is like 12 to 24, you know? Yeah. And I basically am like reporting on all things Star Wars. I, I mean, I would report on the Clone Wars. I would get sent to Comic-Con and I got to interview like, um, um, Oh my Warwick Davis. And I got to, um, I mean, I just, and all Is the that when you started Wars. all your Carrie Fisher stalking that you did? Yeah, for that's so that's okay. So here's what happened with that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I know I've seen many photographs yeah, of yeah, over yeah. different periods of time with Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I can explain myself your honor. So, um, 
<laughs> what happened with that was so Carrie Fisher, I think in 2007, mm-hmm. started uh, her uh, one woman production called Wishful Drinking. Oh, right, right. And it started at the Geffen Playhouse in Westwood. So I went to it once and, of course, was obsessed because I loved Carrie Fisher, you know, all things Star Wars. Um, and then they did it again. I went to it again at the Geffen house. This is when I was already living in New York. They did it again at the Geffen house. And if you paid like a certain amount, like you got like a, a, a it was like a pre cocktail party with Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Mm-hmm. So I went to it, but of course you couldn't get near them and they weren't really, you know, I, but I was in the presence and then, and then uh, I just couldn't help myself. And I went up to Carrie and I brought one of her books. Like I didn't want her to think that I was just like some star Wars nerd. Cause I know that she, <laughs> you know, I was also a writer. So I brought her a book, one of the books I had of hers and got it autographed and had my sister take a picture. Um, so then what happened was she brought her wishful drinking to Broadway and it was literally like a block away from MTV in Times Square. And I went to it once with some friends. We had like nosebleed seats mm-hmm. and I thought I was done. We saw it great. I love her so much. I was so jazzed. Like that first time we see Star Wars, I was just so, so that such a high, you know, and, um, and then I met at a, a friend of mine from the Catholic school, my friend Heather from the Catholic school lived also in New York mm-hmm. and she had a party. And I, at the party, I met the woman that was the marketing director for the theater that Carrie's production was at yeah, cool. uh, this woman. What is her name? It'll come to me. And she was like, Oh, I can get you front row tickets anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, 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 basically. <laughs> So I went, I would say about five more times to front row seats, wow. Gary, and not thinking she would recognize me because, yeah. you know, she's had, you know, so many drug problems and yeah. um, she talked openly about um, um, what's it called? Electroshock therapy, mm-hmm. you know, to treat mm-hmm. depression. And she said that it, you, you have short term memory loss, but she started recognizing me. She started recognizing me. To the fat, to the point where she would point at me in the audience and call me stalker, or she, and then, and then, I went to the Star Wars convention in Atlanta, and the Lucasfilm PR people got me second row center seats to her <laughs> talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks That's at so me. Funny. She gave me the dirtiest look, like, like, what are you doing here? And I just like shrugged my shoulders. I was like, I'm here for work, man. You know, and then. <laughs> My old boss from Playboy, Susan, was now at HBO, and HBO was doing a taping of Wishful Drinking, mm-hmm. and she's like, do you want tickets? And I was like, okay. So I got third row center to the to the HBO taping of Wishful Drinking, brought a friend, and Carrie literally just pointed right to me during the taping, and it's like, stalker! I mean, she talks about stalkers, but she, you know, she yeah, yeah. at me. She was always referring to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I thought, I thought, so then I thought that was it. That would be the last time. So then the last time I saw Carrie Fisher was April 21st of 2009. Was it 2009? Mm-hmm. Um, I was in, I was at Cafe Morundi in New York for Easter with a friend of mine from MTV. And I see Carrie Fisher outside with her daughter and some other people about to sit down at the restaurant and I couldn't help myself. So all I did was, and, oh, and I had a, I had a full leg brace on. I just had arthroscopic, like a torn ACL surgery. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally limping. I've got this leg brace on. I look like, you know, Quasimodo. And I, all I do is like peek out the front doors. Cause you know, I can't help myself. 
and I, and I don't, I have no idea where she is. I walk out the front door to the patio and all I hear out of my left ear is, Oh my God. And I see this woman duck under the table. <laughs> I realize that it's Carrie Fisher. That's and I was so mortified that I turn around. I run back inside. I trip over the phone cord from the wall to the hostess podium and I fell into the podium and the hostess said to catch me. I'm sure they probably thought I was drunk. I was so rattled that so so I go and I sit down and I tell my friend, I'm like, Oh my God, my God, Carrie Fisher just saw me. She ducked underneath the table to avoid me. And my friend's like, I'm sure you're, I'm sure she didn't. I'm like, no, no, she did. (laughs) You have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, so that, that's the Carrie Fisher story. So I have to ask, just as a side note, have you seen the series Catastrophe on Amazon? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I've only seen the- So I, good. There's I four seasons to... of it. It's like, we've we've watched it at my house. My wife and I've watched it like probably four times all the way through. It's so Oh, you're great. kidding. Okay, it's so I did- so, The humor in it, I, it yeah. I think you would appreciate it. Okay. I did watch season one because of course I knew Carrie was in it, but yeah. um, then when she died, I kind of lost interest, but I should get, I'm looking for a new show. So I'll watch I think that. she's in it really pretty much till the end, I think. I mean, oh, she's really? just on, there's four seasons and I think yeah. she's maybe just not in the last one, but okay. anyway, okay. Yeah. I just was curious. It seemed like that would be something <laughs> that would be up your alley. Yeah. 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 So, so after MTV, what, uh, like, are you back in California now? I am. So I left MTV after seven years and um seven year itch and they basically hired this new guy in our department that became our vp that i couldn't stand and um so i did i did what laurel does and i quit without a job uh and then i got a um it's funny because you know how everyone says you don't quit your job until you get another job i've actually quit every job before having another job (laughs) yeah it's good it keeps you motivated to find it does it does yeah (laughs) so i got um through one of my old art directors at MTV, I got a job at Gilt in New York, which okay, is retail. Yeah. It was a flash mm-hmm. sale site. Yep. So, um, but it was just a terrible experience for me. I started in January. Um, I had recently broken up with my married boyfriend in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom got breast cancer. And then a month later, my de- my best friend in the world uh, suddenly died of an aneurysm. And then I got pneumonia and then I needed to have a foot surgery. So I was there a year. I would say I was out of the office with all of these crises for four months. So I tried wow. to quit. I tried to quit with my boss several times. And he's like, no, we love you. And I'm like, I know everyone loves me, but I'm not performing. And I don't feel good about it. Yeah. So, And then I think, honestly, at, so I'd been in New York. It was like my eighth year. And I, I think after my best friend died, I just had a real awakening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, about like what is what matters most to me, and you know, in New York, I I had three hundred people I could call up to go out to drinks with, you know, because yeah. I worked at, you know, I I had worked at you know a huge you know MTV was thousands of people, so yeah. but you, but you realize they're not your really good friends, like right. you know, like I knew hundreds of people, we were friends, we went out partying, we went to you know brunch, drinks, blah blah blahs, and um, and that's fun, but it's only fun for so long, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I realized, you know, every year in New York that my lease was up, I questioned, is this the time to move back to California? Is this the time? Because I knew I wasn't, well, I, I, the funny thing is the longer I stayed in New York, I thought, wow, maybe I will be here, you know, forever. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but after Anne died, I was just, just devastated. And I realized I needed like to be around good, like really good friends, you know, like the friends you've had since like high school. And, you know, I've had friends, I have friends from elementary school, you know? So, um, so I quit guilt after a year and I moved, I kept my apartment because I wasn't sure. So I sublet it to this very sweet Australian a uh, woman who we're friends with, I'm friends with her now. And um, I moved in with my mom and uh, I traveled for a year because I had, Anne was a flight attendant. So when she died, one of her friends, I had Anne's flight passes until she got married. And then um, when Anne died, one of her flight attendant friends made me her pass partner. So I still have it. So yeah, I, nice. I fly for free on American, you know, standby. Is that when you went um, to Tunisia and stuff? Um, yeah. Oh no, I went to Tunisia when I was still working at MTV. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, it saw the, all the star Wars sets. Yeah, the that old was, sets. yeah. I remember seeing oh pictures God. of you there and thinking like Laurel is leading the craziest life I, I could possibly imagine. <laughs> well, you know, what's so funny. So speaking of movies, cause I am a total movie buff. I wanted to go to Tunisia because I love the English patient. And I thought, and I also wanted to explore I'd been to, no, I hadn't been to Egypt yet. I hadn't been to North Africa. I'd been to Africa, but not North Africa. And Tunisia has this beautiful mix of its, of its African, but mm-hmm. it's Arabic, but it's Mediterranean. You know, yeah. They speak Arabic, they speak French, they speak their own dialect. I'm Francophile, as you know. So we went to yeah, Tunisia yeah. and I just realized that basically George, all of George's idea for Star Wars came from Tunisia. Like the cities, <laughs> the, there's the city named Tatooine. All the men wear those cloaks that Obi-Wan wears. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is where he got all of his ideas, you know? He's just ripping off Tunisia. He ripped off Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> and turned it into like a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, and the so thing funny. that's so funny, so when we went to Tunisia, it was six of us. It was like my sister, my best friend, Anne, a friend of mine from LucasArts, a couple other friends, and um, we had our personal tour guide. And so he took us, once I realized that there was so, I didn't realize how much Star Wars stuff there was in Tunisia, but like mm-hmm. we ended up going to this, you know, City Driss Hotel, which is where Luke, Luke is living with Aunt Rue and Uncle Owen. And, you know, it was just this continuation of like Star Wars Cloud Nine for me. So, That's yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> the common thread. So you come, you come back to California and what do you, what, so and now you're, I know we, you mentioned earlier what you're doing like on a daily basis right now, but were you doing something before that? So I took a year off to travel Mm -hmm. and I, um, I traveled all over. I went to Asia. I learned, um, one of the things that I discovered that I love is scuba diving. I, I became oh, yeah. scuba certified in 2014 in Thailand and just fell in love with it. I am an avid scuba diver. So I did a lot of scuba diving, went to Thailand. I went to the Philippines. Um, I had gotten back together with my married ex-boyfriend. So I, I went to Europe for the summer and <laughs> snuck around, at, you know, fucking, you know, hotels all summer long. And, <laughs> um, and then I came and then I decided I was definitely going to stay in California. So then I had to go back to New York and uh, clear out my apartment and pack it up, you know? So I went back to New York and it's funny. I thought I'm not people like they saw on like Instagram or Facebook, whatever that I was moving. And I thought I'm not doing a going away party. Whoever calls me, calls me. And out yeah. of all the hundreds of people I, I knew there, 
I think like eight people called me, which is great because you want to see, you know, again, you want to see who your real friends are. So yeah, you separate the wheat from the chaff, right? With a exactly, exactly. <laughs> figure out you what's know? what. Chicken salad from chicken shit, man. So yeah. it's like. <laughs> <laughs> So I moved to LA. I, I'm, I'm still in the same place. I, I got a one bedroom apartment and uh, I live in Hollywood. Well, it's called Hancock Park, but it's really Hollywood. I'm like literally like a block away from Pink's Hot Dogs. Cool. Um, and I worked, I started work. So I took a year off and then I started working at a friend's, a friend of mine from Catholic school. Her husband uh, wanted me to help him start up his boutique law firm downtown LA. So I did that for six months. And then I worked at a friend's, um, a friend in West Hollywood, I worked at his um, property management company, but I was really still like, and then I got a book deal. So then I was just like, really just sitting home at writing the book deal. And um, what's as the you know, status of your book? Well, so I got a book deal through this guy I knew I worked with at MTV who I'd actually never met, but I, I had, I was blogging, you know, I started blogging when I was yeah. in New York because uh, my therapist was like, your, your stories are crazy. So I started blogging. And I, in 2016, I wrote a blog post about, you know, dating a married guy, which is a very scary thing for me to write about because I know it's such taboo and I expected like half of my women friends to delete me from Facebook, but, and ended up starting a, a, an, an incredible conversation. And I had several people like on the side, you know, um, call me and ask me for like advice because they were dating married people, you know, and <laughs> I was like, end it, you know, but anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> I got a book deal from this guy in New York and it, you know, and I'm not a writer. I mean, I was blogging, but blogging isn't like writing a novel or writing yeah. a, you know, a real, a, bit, a big girl book. So I got a book deal and the, to the short of the long is that this guy was just a total idiot. He, I'm, he, I'm pretty sure he was bipolar, you know, super nasty, not a good editor. So on the sidelines, I hired a uh, freelance editor from uh, Random House. And she immediately was like, you got to get rid of this guy. And I was like, but it's my publisher too, you know? So he eventually dropped me because he was so threatened by this woman. So I've just been editing it with her. I just sent out my latest uh, edit, edited manuscript to her last Friday. Um, and then in, in the meantime, I mean, I've had a lot of uh, um, interest, like, my dad and I, two years ago, met with Mark Wahlberg's production company because they do documentaries. They, after a two-hour meeting, they offered us a deal within five minutes to do a documentary. But, oh, wow. you know, my dad uh, came off so poorly and I just thought this is going to be a disaster, you know, because hmm. I love my dad very much, but I, I tell people he is a mix of OJ and Trump because mm -hmm. he can't stop <laughs> talking about how he didn't do it. And he can't stop talking about how great he is, you know, because he's a narcissist. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, so and then I thought, you know, I'm writing my story, you know, and they wanted my dad's rights. They wanted yeah. uh, they wanted me to produce it, help produce it. But they really wanted. And then, you know, my mom and I have been very open about my dad's uh, incarceration and the strip clubs. I've always been open about it um, because that's life and everyone has yeah. a different journey. And I think it's fascinating to see what everyone's journey is. Uh, but my sister and my mom like are they sweep it under the rug they didn't the, when my dad was arrested they didn't tell any of their friends like I, I don't know how you do something like that but they didn't and so here i am now 20 my dad's you know my dad was arrested 20 years ago and we i'm writing my book and they want they want me to, 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 to they want to squash it you know they want they don't uh want me to write about it they're like why can't you just move on and but hmm. so yeah so i i put mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg on hold but that's always an option um 
randomly because now I got a job working for core response and I do COVID testing in Woodland yeah, Hills. That's yeah, that's so interesting. Like I, I have to say, I saw the picture of you that I think you, uh, maybe you posted it on Instagram or something. And I just thought like, that seems so noble. <laughs> it's so crazy because when I was in New York, you know, the UN is in New York. And I mm. thought it was like, because I was so sick of working in entertainment. I just felt like I was working for all this fluff, like, you know, not doing anything meaningful. And I thought, oh my God, I would love to work at the UN. But of course it was impossible to get in there. Um, and I'd also try to get into another, a couple other nonprofits, but if you don't, it's like, if you don't have the experience, you can't get the job, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So basically I lost my book deal. And I was still writing the book. The pandemic hit. I was super depressed. I was basically drinking bottles of wine in my pajamas. I was showering once a week and my sister, <laughs> sounds like life at my house. Yeah. Right. I think it's yeah. about what everyone was doing, you know, crying and, you know, like, and I don't even, I mean, I literally, I mean, in my apartment, I don't even have any outdoor space. So I'm like, stay yeah. at home. And I literally like, it was like either my sofa or my bed, you know, it's your, it's your own version of incarceration. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, and so in April, last April, my sister was like, you know, yo, we need to do something. We need to like volunteer, get out of the house or something. And so she suggested we volunteer for core. And so I started off as a volunteer and then I got hired and then they promoted me. And now here I am seven months later. I'm one of the site leads. That is I, so cool. I love it. I, and the great thing, Matt, is that I haven't had the camaraderie that I have now at core that since I've had with Lucasfilm, you know what I mean? Like just, you know, because for me, the work is always about the people you work with, yep. you know? Yep. And so, I mean, granted, most of my new friends are between 19 and 23, uh, well, but, you know, and they love hearing my stories, you know, I'm like yeah. crazy Aunt Laurel. So, um, yeah, so I'm working at core. Um, and then through core, I, so one day uh, I was doing check-in. I normally don't do check-in anymore because I'm a site lead, but I was doing check-in because we were short-staffed and this guy comes through and I'm like, okay, give me your appointment number. I said, are you Matt Gutman? He's like, yes, I'm Matt Gutman. And I'm like, wait a minute. I said, are you Matt Gutman from like ABC World News in 2020? And he's like, yes, I am. So we became friends on Instagram. I messaged him and just said, thank you for coming to our site. And he messaged me back and was like, er, thank you so much for what you do, Laurel. And then he's like, what is your book about? Because in my Instagram like handle, it says like writing a book about a normal childhood. And so mm -hmm. he and I have been messaging back and forth via Instagram. He likes everything. Um, he asked me how I'm doing. It's like we're friends now. He stopped by work to say hi to me, you know, um, and he wants to help me get my book published. He That's wants so cool. To, yeah. He wants to connect me with an agent to get it made into a TV series or movie. And also he wants to connect me with some literary agent people. And then he wants to do a 2020 on my story, you know, but the, the, the Sophie's choice is, do I do 2020 or do I keep my inheritance from my dad? <laughs> yeah. Because my well, parents, I, there's a not. story there probably that's not like, I mean, I guess it's pretty heavy, but it's also like, well, yeah, I don't know. It's a complicated I mean, one. <laughs> It is complicated. <laughs> I was actually just talking about it with my therapist, but the, here's the thing, you know, I know my parents want to like quash the whole story. If you know, my, I mean, oxygen just did a new crime show on my dad. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like just like, I just watched it like two weeks ago. I didn't even know about it. A friend of mine was like, yo, 
because now oxygen is doing that has a series called the true crimes of oc county you know all right and so but you know my dad's already been on msnbc and he was on america's most wanted and he was on um a and e and you know so i mean it's uh, this and if you google him it's all over the la times archive so yeah. but yeah so that's the that's what i'm stuck with now is they're gonna freak out when i come out with the book and if i do any interviews so well i don't know maybe it'll be one of those things too where maybe it'll be like a, a healing opportunity too for everybody to kind of just like you know put it all out there and you know yeah you never know maybe there's yeah. that possibility yeah or so, i could you know join the witness protection program <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, Laurel Woods, I have to say, um, you said something a minute ago that I think is really resonates with me. And I feel like it's a big part of all the conversations I've been having with people in this format, which is that when you think back on that time at Lucasfilm and how you're describing your experience now working, um, you know, doing the COVID testing and stuff, I think that it really does come back to this thing. It is about the people, you know, and the people that you meet. And it I know. Is. I know for me, like meeting you back when we met many, many moons ago. Yeah, we, we became, were inseparable. We, yeah. we became great friends. We had lunch together all the time. We hung out all the time. And it was <laughs> such a great, uh, such a great period of time in my life. And I, I think it speaks uh, volumes to the kinds of friendships that can form in that way and how important the people are that here we are now talking. And when we saw each other at Seagraph this last summer, we hadn't seen each other in years. Yeah. But it was instantly like we had just seen each other yesterday. So I know it's true. And I feel like it's like that with everyone from Lucasfilm. It's like you cannot talk for years and you see what you see somebody and it's just like that instant connection, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I think agree. that's a really important thing to always just like, you know, have that reality check and remember that like they're for everybody that there's always like those people out there that really like you connect with, you know? In yeah, those formative yeah. years through uh, adversity. I always say it's like, you know, we were in the trenches together or something, but it was exactly. a pretty, pretty cush trench to be in, I think. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it but was. Laurel, thanks so much for coming on. It's been so great to talk to you. Matt Wallen, it is my pleasure. I adore you and thank you so much. And may the force be with you. <laughs>